Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the one and only Rock and Wrestling Podcast. Welcome to the one and only Rock and Wrestling Podcast. I am your host with the most, Nick, and you're in your one-stop shop place for all things rock and all things wrestling. I am back this week. Uh, Had a little, if you haven't been paying attention to the world right now, there's so many crazy things going on in the world that I'll give you to it up front. I like to be honest with the listeners out there. Just was a crazy week last week. One of the two times that I've ever missed dropping a podcast here in this two-year journey I've been on with this show. Uh, a lot of moving parts have been changing, obviously, in the world with the coronavirus going on. Uh, I have a little setup here where my office is, where the studio is with the laptop, with my microphones, and with the ever-changing state and health climate that's going on in our country. I'm obviously being located in California where it's one of the worst outbreaks. Uh, My shoot job, my day job, uh, has me working from home remotely, and there was a lot of moving parts. I just couldn't get in front of the computer, in front of the studio to record a new episode and put it out. I didn't put anything out on social media uh, it just was going to be a little too hard to explain, but I'm back this week, and I'm hoping with this downtime, I have so much downtime, obviously being in a shelter in place here in California with everything going on, hoping to bring you some extra content. I'm probably, most likely going to throw you a bonus episode and bring the top 20 back. I Luckily, as you know, I pre-record all of my interviews and then put them out there. Uh, so luckily I had been just knocking out a bunch of uh, interviews that are pre-recorded. So we've got a good amount of content. I've already lined up several other interviews with people uh, in the rock and wrestling world that are have downtime. They don't have shows. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these interviews play out because a lot of people would usually be promoting touring or promoting upcoming wrestling shows. And that's all on hold right now. We know what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, if we start on the music side of things, you know, all many tours have been canceled or postponed or rescheduled because we can't have mass gatherings. We know that wrestling right now, you know, the climate, so many independents are 
you know, being rescheduled or canceled. There is, I mean, there is going to be a WrestleMania that, you know, in two weeks' time here, we're going to have WrestleMania on a Saturday and Sunday, the first time it's ever been two, as you could say, two nights, but there's going to be no crowd there. AEW's doing no crowd, but I think the those wrestling avenues, the wrestling form of entertainment is very important in a, in a climate like it is to have people escape from the, you know, escape from their minds, escape from whatever might be going on. And it's nice right now to have this going on with everything in the climate and the health status in the world right now. I think it, it it's a it's a major positive going on. But here we are in today's episode. We have fantastic guest, none other than Michael Alago. Now, if you're not familiar with Michael, Michael has a Netflix documentary called Who the Fuck is This Guy? It's still up there. If you're quarantined at home, go ahead, go check it out. But he also has a book that came out. comes out, I believe, this week or it came out last week. Days are running together. But Michael's known for discovering a lot of great musical talent, specifically Metallica. We go into in-depth in that, but we also go into depth just about his background, the music scene. He grew up in New York. He's, a, he's an openly gay man, all that. So we go into all of that detail. It's a fantastic interview. So I'm excited for everybody to hear it because there's some great stuff in it. And if you want to keep up to date on all things with the podcast, make sure you follow on all social media, including the old Twitter machine, Nick's R&W Podcast, Facebook, Nick's Rock and Wrestling Podcast, Instagram, Rock and Wrestling Podcast. You get your official merchandise over at ProWrestlingTees.com slash R&W Podcast. You can also go to RockandWrestlingPodcast.com. Leave a five-star review on iTunes if you think I have earned it, and as well as you can do like my man Danny J. Pond and support the show through Patreon, Patreon.com slash R&W Podcast. I appreciate everybody's support. Going to be bringing you plenty of content this week. Uh, Going to be hoping to get another top 20. We haven't done top 20 in a while. But without further ado, here he is. The man that discovered Metallica, signed him to Elektra Records, and brought him to the masses. We go into that. We go into his new book. We go into so many different things. I'm excited for everybody to hear it. Without further ado, here he is, Michael Alago. All right, it's a pleasure. Well, I mean, I've already started talking to you before, so this is the most I've talked to guests before we hit record. So it's like I kind of already know you. Uh, he's got a new book out. He's, um, I guess you could say, a, a record industry expert. Back in the day, he's known for signing Metallica, among other bands. Michael Alago. Michael, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, you're you're so you're so friendly to begin with. So I feel like this is going to be a great interview to start. <laughs> oh well, thank you so much. You know, you know, you know, it's like I'm egoless. I love people, and, you know, I love to do interviews and talk about my career, and if any of that stuff could help people who are up and coming or need help with one thing or another, because I talk about a variety of issues in my book, then that's what we're here for, to help one another. Absolutely. Let's start with the book, because you had the Netflix sure. do- Netflix documentary, and I, I watched that. Tremendous. I, I learned so much. But now the book is coming out, so... Talk about write, the process of writing a book, because a lot of people you know, in the music industry or just entertainment in general, they may have somebody ghostwrite for you. Did you have that? Mm-hmm. Was that kind of your process? And how did well, you... Well, uh, okay. So, you know, um, can we say the F word? You can cuss away. 
No, but I don't like, I think I was trying to, like in 2020, I was trying not to curse anymore, but sometimes it's inevitable. Um, yes, so there's a film about me called Who the Fuck Is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Alago on Netflix and Amazon Prime. And it's been wildly successful that they renewed it again this year up until at least September 2020. Out of that, a small publishing company called Backbeat Books saw the movie and they wanted to know if I had more stories. And I was like, do I have more stories? Of course I have more stories. And um, I just started pulling this book together. My uh, agent, Lee Sobel, um, was very helpful with uh, closing the deal on the book. And I just said to him, you know, Lee, I have this crazy scatterbrain. And I don't know if I'd be able to just do this and focus on my own. So he found an old friend of mine from like 30 years. Her name is Laura Davis Channon. And she wrote her own book called The Girl in the Back, A Female Drummer's Life with Bowie, Blondie, and the 70s rock scene. So we met again after like 25 years, and it was very nice. And I thought, well, I guess it feels comfortable enough that I'll ask for her help. So um, I wound up finding all these journals that I kept as a young person, and those journals guided the book, because I don't even remember half of my life, uh, because it was in a blackout. <laughs> but um, those journals, whether they were the early journals that were just lists of things that I went to hear and see, like taking the train from Brooklyn to Manhattan, going to CBGB tonight, going to see the late show of the Damned and the Dead Boys, you know, stuff like that. So all that kind of stuff um, made my brain think some more about those days. It was just very helpful to reignite all that stuff because it was already on the written page. Um, so, yes, the book was written by me. I don't have a ghostwriter. Laura helped co-write the book with me. But it really is all in my words, and it sounds like me. And that was like the whole thing, you know, having somebody, you know, finesse your sentences and stuff. I couldn't have them finesse the, the work so that it didn't sound like me anymore. But, you know, as you go on, you learn things about each other, and uh, the book does sound like me. So in the end, um, I'm just really happy with the book, and that's how it all came about. Yeah, it is. I've been reading it, and it's been very hard to put down. Some great, great stories in there. <laughs> Man, it's like, wow, this is this is crazy. One of the things that I, I reading the book that I was so curious was, you know, you were yes. so into music. Did you ever think about becoming a musician, or was it just that you just loved the music and wanted to help out any way you, you can? Oh, that's such a good question. You know, as a, as a young teenager in Brooklyn, you know, I always wanted to play the piano, and I have no idea why I just didn't start taking up the piano. Um, but instead, uh, I, I watched all these music programs on TV, like... Um, Don Kirshner's Midnight Special, uh, Dick Clark's American Bandstand, and uh, Don Cornelius's Soul Train. And all those TV shows informed my listening. And all those TV shows had such a wide variety of people on there from 
Aretha Franklin to David Bowie to Todd Rundgren to, you know, Marshall Tucker Band. And so all that stuff that I was hearing at an early age, I just wound up loving. And I loved what happened was my ears were always open to a wide variety of music. So I was obsessed with all that. And I knew as a young person that I always wanted to be, or as I was getting just a little bit older, I thought, I want to be in the music business. But I had no idea what that meant as a young person. Now, I know I just went off on a tangent. (laughs) And yes, I love the idea of playing the piano. But no, I just... uh, didn't play an instrument. I still don't play an instrument. And I would speak to artists and producers in layman's terms. And I always got my point across, which was a good thing. So, no, I don't play anything. And um, at 60 years old now, nah, I don't want to play anything. <laughs> but, I, but I do love voice and piano records. Yeah, even though that wasn't the question. And but no, that that's a great answer. I love I love hearing that because you that's the one thing that I noticed right away is like you're kind of known as the guy that signed this the you know the biggest heavy metal band in the world. But growing sure. growing up, you have such a, a eclectic taste of music. There wasn't anything you didn't like. You know, you talk about Blondie, you talk about Todd Rundgren, like stuff that's you know for me who's more of a, a straight ahead rocker, you know, may not listen to you know. Does that kind of boggle your mind that you're, you know, the big thing you're known for is signing the biggest metal band in the world, but your musical taste is so much more open than people might think? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like I said, I always loved a wide variety of music, so I feel kind of grateful that I was open to so many things because, you know... You can't get sick of anything, really. (laughs) So, you know, if I want to listen to Lou Reed, David Bowie, and Todd Rundgren, I'll do that. Or if it's 6 o'clock and i got to make an 8 o'clock concert, I'll throw on Rain and Blood by Slayer just to get me motivated and moving and get me the hell out the door. Um, So I was always, like I said, grateful that I just loved all kinds of music. My, My ears still are not attuned to opera. I tried it a few times. I don't know if I'm going to be going back. But, um, no, it's just, uh, I just, I, I love metal. I love music. I love people. And I, I'm just glad that I do like a wide variety of music. Yeah, which you definitely can tell through not only documentary and the book. Another thing that I came across in reading the, the book is, you know, sure. you had su- there, there was such a scene at that time when you were you were growing up in New York and then mm-hmm. getting into the music business. Do you think that kids today, you know, the music business being so different than it is when you got into it, have that same opportunity that there's scenes across the country popping up and that a kid that may not, like we talked about, be a musician but want to get in, is there still, you think, that opportunity for kids in 2020 to do? Well, I think if you are someone who is serious about music, and whether you're a singer-songwriter or you're in a band, um, and if you're dedicated to your art and your craft, and nobody can say no to you because that's what you want to do, then you must pursue that. It's very different these days than when I, I don't want to sound like an old person or anything, but, you know, when I did A&R from 1983 to 2005, officially, um, you know, I, would be, I was listening to cassettes 
of everybody, boxes of cassettes. And there was a lot of rotten music in there. There was a lot of good music in there. And there was some great stuff. I don't think I ever found anybody out. Really, no, you know what? I, there was bad stuff and there was good stuff. Now, good, there's so many good people out there. But for me, that you can't sign good because then you'd drive yourself crazy with millions of acts. You'd waste company money. So I really had to focus my mind into finding great. And thank God I have a knack for finding uh, greatness. Um, so these days, you know, the scenes change. In New York, venues are closing left and right. So what's the way people get out there these days, young people? If you, if you don't have a record deal, you put yourself on every social media platform possible. You have no money, have a friend of yours with a camera, do a, a video of y'all or wherever in, in, in a cool location, whether that's the countryside, whether that's a, a, a screwed up garage that's fallen apart. It all comes down to if you're any good at all and you have great songs, hopefully people are going to pay attention to you. And sometimes it only takes that one person to pay attention to you. So... I always tell people, if you're out there and you're serious about music, then you really do have to follow your dreams. And you have to go as far as you think you can go and see what happens. We don't know. Yeah, we, we so you don't. Just gotta, you got to test the waters, and you just got to put yourself out there in a, in, a, in a very serious and fun-loving way. Yeah, you mentioned, I think, the biggest importance with, with bands coming up today is great songs. You know, I think that's that's the hardest thing is, is a lot of newer bands may not have, you know, they may be really good musicians, but they don't have those songs that... that the material, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a, that's a big thing that, you know, any young band coming up really should focus on. And that was, I've, I'm a musician myself, a guitar player, and that's always been a, a struggle is... I can play my instrument, but writing that great song, like, yeah, this is a good song, but where's that great song? Where's that material that's going to grab the audience and really... Well, you've got to hope that... Right, exactly. Maybe you have... Well, if, uh, there are certain artists that need co-writers. So, you know, you can never be, or you shouldn't ever be afraid of asking for help co-writing. And also, you know, when you think about putting yourself out there, one would hope the songs have some kind of universal appeal so that people can relate you know what i mean yep absolutely so, yeah sure so one of the the obviously we've talked a little bit about but the signing for of of metallica and i just want to delve a little <laughs> uh, just a quick yes uh, yeah uh, just a quick little tidbit on this because i you've done so many interviews and talked about it over and over again you know, when you signed them, they weren't what they are now. Did And at that time, thrash was still kind of a new thing. When you made the beeline backstage for them, were you just shocked by the fan base, the rabidness for them, them as a whole band? Good, what, what was it good like? Question. Yeah, what was it exactly that you're like, okay, this is the next big thing? Because thrash wasn't even, I wouldn't even say at that time, categorized as thrash. It was just you know, metal. So what was it exactly that said, okay, these guys are the next big thing? Good question. Um, you know, at the beginning of your question, you know, I think you had said, you know, they weren't then what they are now. 
you know, for me, they've always been the same, except that they've matured. They've gotten even more extraordinary on stage. Um, you know, I was still living in Brooklyn in 1982, and me and my friend Phil from Monster Magnet uh, walked over to Lemoore one night, and we went, to, we went to hear Metallica, and we freaked out because they were doing something that was so different. They were combining British heavy metal, traditional metal, uh, maybe even a bit of hardcore punk rock, and speed. Now, maybe we didn't have the word for speed, which turned into thrash, but they combined all these things to make up what we all know as Metallica. I think they always had a vision for themselves. And, you know, it was relentless back then seeing them. It was crazy and wild and it was raw and in your face. And, you know, immediately I knew, wow, these four guys have a certain charisma on stage that you get attracted to because they all have this wow factor. And that wow factor you cannot buy. It is something innate in someone that you're either a star or you're not. You know, it's the same thing as being good or great. From the get-go, I thought that they were great. Fast forward a little, I'm at Electra Records, uh, beginning of 1983, and I had a business trip I was making to the West Coast. I knew they were playing at the Stone in San Francisco. I went to see them again, and I, it was over the top. It was brilliant, and I was so excited. So I found Lars after the gig. I gave him my business card. Now, you know, all, they didn't even believe that I was an A&R executive because, you know, they, here they are. They're 21, 22. I'm 23, 24. I look like them. And so it's like, wait, this dude is an A&R executive? <laughs> well, I was, and I am. And um, so he gave, I gave him my card, and I, you know, they went about doing their thing, and I went back to New York after my business, and um, months went by. It's the beginning of 1984. Sometime, Lars calls me, and I was really excited, and he said, you know, I don't know if you're still interested in us, but we're coming to New York to play Roseland in summer of 84 in August, and we're playing with Anthrax and Raven. Will you come? I said, absolutely. So I went. It blew my mind once again. Um, and, you know, like I said, the, there was nobody like them. And at that point in time, you know, they had that compilation, they had that um, uh, uh, cassette that was out and get, was getting distributed with the underground scene. Um, Kill 'em All had been out. They were working on Ride the Lightning. And I just thought, I got to have these people in my life. So I went backstage at Roseland. We talked. We laughed. The other three members who hadn't met me before thought, this guy's not really an executive, is he? Because <laughs> I was drunk. I was like, you know, I think I even had a Metallica T-shirt on and jeans. And Lars was like, no, this is my Lago <laughs> from Electra. Well, we had a good laugh. The next day, I had them in my office. I knew that they were still signed to Megaforce Records. So we had to really um, finesse a deal where everyone was going to be happy. At first, Megaforce Records was very unhappy with me because I was, you know, I wanted Metallica. But, you know, 
the independent label Megaforce that they were on was a fantastic label at the time. They were doing incredible things, but I don't think that they had the money and the opportunity, really, to take them to the next level. I was part of a major organization, Electra Records, Time Warner. We had money to spend, and we spent it on them because I knew, in my heart, I knew that they were really going to be the next big thing. They, and, I really knew that. Yeah, and look at that. And, and boy, were they ever. And yes, they were. Real quickly here, just a couple more questions because I'm, sure. I'm loving your, your stories. Real quickly, you being a gay man and I got and everything that the stories that you have in there, I, I just want to say I commend you on, on putting that all out there because I think that's important for, for people to hear and not be afraid and, and to be themselves. So I, I have to commend you that on that book and the documentary. You put it all out there and I think that's a great, great not only, you know, you're being yourself, and I think that's an important message, especially in today's world. Uh, I used to be a teacher and seeing cyberbullying and, and anything of that. So I think that's a pos- mm-hmm. positive message that you put your story out there and are just very open about it. Well, you know, uh, Nick, I always tell the truth about everything. And when you tell the truth, you're actually helping yourself and other people. So I never found it. I never found a reason to have to be in the closet and not talk about myself because, I don't know, you know, when you're young, you question yourself, but knowing that that's part, only part of who I am. And as I got older, I just thought, you know what, people are going to like you, but they're not going to like you. You know, they're going to like you because you're, you're gay or they're not going to like you because you're gay or you have green hair or, you know, you're, you're, you know, I don't know, you have one arm. I mean, you never know the reason why people don't like you. I think it's all about fear. So, you know, like I said, I never was in the closet. I was always out there. And, you know, when I went to these shows and stuff, everybody already knew, oh, that's Michael Alago from Electra. And, you know, guys, gals at all these metal shows, would always come up and talk to me. And, you know, after they left our conversation, one would always hope that they would say, you know, we really like him. And, um, you know, most of the time, almost all the time, when I was out and about and was meeting with young people and young musicians who came up to me at concerts, it was always about the music. It had nothing to do with the sexuality. Even though they knew that I was gay, it was about the music all the time. So, you know, when you have that common ground with people, who cares about anything else? Absolutely. And then my final bit here as we, as we wind down. Please. Where can uh, everybody get the book? And not only that, follow you know any social media to keep up to date with what you've got going on and everything of that nature. Oh, of course. Thank you for asking. So the book is on Amazon.com right now. It's available to purchase for uh, pre-order. It officially comes out March 25th. Uh, I am always on Facebook under Michael Anthony Alago. I am always on Instagram under Michael Anthony Alago. And I think I'm on Twitter at, um, what is that, ampersand, at Michael Alago 1, number 1. So those three platforms you can find me on. I'm always there. And... um, 
here we are, Nick. Thank you for interviewing me. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a pleasure. I'm going to have to have you back on because you have so many phenomenal stories. And it's just very, I love having people on that are very, like you said, you're very friendly and you're just very, very conversational. I like doing it. Oh, well, thank you very, very much. And, you know, there's so many eclectic stories in the book, you know, from Metallica to Leonard Skinner. And, you know, I think it's a book that, like the movie, I just didn't want to make it about one thing. If it was going to be about a life, you got to just tell it all. And maybe if you're talking about addiction, maybe because you're talking, well, I'm talking about it, it's going to help somebody else. And then that next page is, never mind being addicted, I'm now in recovery. And that's a help. So, you know, I always tell people, if you're out there and you're suffering, all, no matter what the situation is, always ask for help. Absolutely. In anything, in everything that you do in life. When you ask for help, you're going to get an answer. Sometimes it's not the answer that you want, but if you ask for help, something is going to come out of that. So. Absolutely. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, and we'll have to have you on again. Oh, Nick, thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, let's definitely speak again and uh, enjoy the book, and um, have a great day. Want to thank Michael Olago for joining me on today's show, man. It was a pleasure talking to him. He had some great stories. Go and check out his book. Check out his Netflix documentary. So many great things. So many great stories. It's great to hear people like that, hear about their stories, you know. Once again, he's coming from the music world, closely relating to rock, especially discovering Metallica. Such a friendly guy. Hope to have Michael back on and share some more stories, especially from his book because there's some phenomenal stuff in there you know it's a tell-all he doesn't hold anything back so definitely go check it out support him especially in this time where you've got a lot of downtime right now probably sitting at home what better thing to do than read some great rock and roll tales from his book so without further ado we're gonna transition here as we wrap up today's this week's show uh you know all the social media the old twitter machine instagram Rock and Wrestling Podcast on Facebook, Patreon, merchandise, where to get it, it all. But next week, it is time for the yearly tradition. Obviously, I don't review many a shows or preview many a shows. Like, there's a zillion podcasts out here that do that. But I do do a WrestleMania preview show, have for the last two years. If you remember last year, Matt Coon joined me, and it was... A great, great time, and the year before, a couple of buddies of mine, and this year, he's pretty much like the second honorary co-host he's been on so many times, Mr. Josh Chernoff's going to join me. We're going to preview the WrestleMania card. It's going to be different, obviously, WrestleMania being two days this year with no fans, and I think we'll just dive into all things that are going on right now with pro wrestling it being no fans and what stuff. He's got a lot coming. He's got two new shows debuting. Don't want to give it away too much. But Josh will join me on the show next week for episode 115, WrestleMania 36 preview. Until then, peace. I am out.